in the presence of God this morning. Amen. God is here. Just like that song said, He's here to heal. He's here to do miracles. He's here to change lives. So if you want it healed, changed, or miracles performed this morning, I hope you brought it because He is here. He is with us. He's an ever-loving God that seeks to save, to redeem, and reconcile. If you would, please bow your heads with me this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I am humbled in your presence, Lord. The things that you do, Lord, this world that you created, Lord, I stand in awe of your presence in my life. God, I stand in awe in the presence of the works that you're doing, that you have done, and that you're going to do. Because, God, you are the God that was, the God that is, and the God that always will be. And, Lord, I am thankful for that. Lord, as we gather here today, Lord, I pray that we do nothing but honor and glorify your name, that there would be no self-righteousness or self-boasting, but, God, that everything that has been done so far and that is to come, Lord, would point the finger to you. God, that we would be here to only be a reflection of your goodness and your likeliness. God, that we would learn, grow, and give praises together. Lord, as you unite us in the Spirit. God, help us today. Lord, as we bind Satan from this place, and from our lives, and from our families. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Through several conversations I've had this week, and gosh, just the things that have been going on around the globe and here and there and everywhere, um, there's a lot of anger, a lot of hate and hostility, violence. And I can't help but think if God's people would stop turning a blind eye to it, and step up to it, that things might be a little bit different. But God's people have to prepare. As, as children of the King, we have to prepare and we have to be in the right place to approach these settings and these situations. I see a, a lot of using of the Bible as a physical weapon to just tear people down. I see it all the time. People tell other people they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that and, and they're going to hell if they don't do this and they're going to hell if they don't do that. But they're never telling what they can do to get to heaven. There's a whole lot of tearing down, not a whole lot of building up going on. And so as I was reading my Bible and studying this week and we started uh, a lesson on Wednesday night called Distinct, and it really got me to thinking, it got my mind to churning of how we should approach things differently. And how when we approach things with anger, because of anger, we fit right in with the rest of the world, right? So when anger meets anger, there's a passage I'm going to read here in a little bit um, that deals, to me, with anger meets anger. Uh, but the Bible gives several warnings about anger. In James chapter 1, Verse 19, it says, My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
How many people think people are slow to speak anymore? Man. Swift to hear, slow to speak. There's not a whole lot of that goes on. You always heard that, you know, you got two ears, one mouth. You should do twice as much listening as you do talking. And it's true. You should really hear out the situation and fill out the situation before you open your mouth to speak. I always admired uh, Jerry. Whenever we're in a conversation or some deep talk, you can tell that he's really, really thinking. And he takes his time before he says anything. He really contemplates it. And I always admired that because I'm pretty quick to just give my opinion right off the bat before I think about what comes out of my mouth. Um, Swift to hear slow to speak just think if you looked around all the world and if you if you looked about what was happening and how many miscommunications there are even let's just let's narrow it down a little bit look at your marriage look at your marriage and if you listened guys if you listened twice as much as you spoke we would be in a lot better seat a lot more time right we would be in a lot better place this is just truthful speaking Because a lot of times I'm quick to speak and then I'm like, ooh, I wish I could reel that back in, but that baby has sailed. It's already out there. But it's so true how we as Christians, we as husbands, we as wives, we as children have the opportunity to control any verbal situation. You know, Jesus was approached on several different fronts with people trying to make Him stumble. They were trying to make Him fail, trying to make Him give a misanswer, trying and just setting Him up for failure. But He took control of every situation and turned it back to the kingdom of God. And so if we think about that and we apply it, that's the thing is when we read it in the Bible, that's great. You let it soak in, that's great. If you never apply it, it never does any good. You have to apply the things that you know for them to take effect. It says, swift to hear, slow to speak. There's not a lot of application of that going on. But if me and Misty have a quarrel or a disagreement, my mouth can make it worse or it can make it better. She has no effect, but I can make it worse or make it better. From her side, what she says to me can make it worse or it can make it better. If she comes at me because she's mad at me about something and I turn around and I blast her about something and point out her faults, guess what? I've increased the hostility. I've increased the situation. Instead of de-escalating it, I've added to it. Because now I've put her on the defense. Because I was on the defense, I wanted her to be on the defense. Instead of seeking a solution, now there's just a whole bunch of slander taking place. Sound familiar about what we see on TV today? There's nobody seeking a solution. They only want to slander their opposition. They're not seeking for righteous gain. That's what it says in the last verse. For the wrath of man worketh no righteousness for God. And if it's not working righteousness for God, then it's void, vain, mute. It doesn't matter. Because everything down here is all temporary. I've always said it doesn't do a whole lot of good 
for you to win an argument if you lose a soul. Because you point them in the other direction whenever you slander them, whenever you bring out their faults and everything that they're doing wrong and you put them in the ground with it. It doesn't do a whole lot of good. So for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's the first warning. And there's several more that I didn't bring out. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let the sun, let not the sun go down on your wrath. We always try to mimic this at my house. If we've got a problem, we try to talk about it no matter how long it takes because you never know if you're going to wake up the next day. You never know if you're going to see them when they get back from town. You never know if they go out in the yard. You never know what might happen. You don't know their next breath might be their last breath. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. It says, be angry and sin not. I like the next verse. It says, neither give place to the devil. Anger is a devil's tool, man. He wants us to be mad. Why? Because it blinds us to seeing what truly is happening. And if he can keep us blinded, then he's got us right where he wants us, right? I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. How sweet thou art. Because blindness is foolishness. Whenever the devil can put blinders on your eyes so that you can't see what's actually happening, you are of no use. Because when we give place to anger, we give place to the devil. Ephesians 4, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. There are several more warnings in God's Word that He gives us about being angry and sinning. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 15 today, starting in verse 1. We're going to get a couple eyewitness accounts here. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? They approached Jesus to have him fail. Why are you doing this? Why aren't your disciples following the traditions of man? They came at him angry and upset that him and his disciples were not following the traditions of man. Jesus took control of the situation and pointed them right back to the righteousness of God. See, when we get angry and we enter disputes and things like that, I have a feeling that our first and foremost priority is not to save that person's soul. Right? I mean, are we guilty? That's not the first and foremost thing that's on my mind whenever somebody's coming at me with, very bad words and as angry and up in my face. I'm not thinking, boy, I wish I could get that person to heaven. Um, maybe quicker than, you know. Um, but anyway, but that's not the first thing in my mind, but that's what Jesus said. He come at 
They came at him trying to get him to fail, and he pointed them towards the kingdom of God. So in our arguments, and our anger, when people come at us trying to get us to fail, the best thing that we can do is point back to the kingdom of God. To resort back to the love that we have for Christ that died for us and to point them towards that because we are supposed to be a walking, talking reflection of, correct? The best way that we can do that is get to know our God and our Savior better. That way it's common practice. If you practice it alone enough, then when you're confronted by it, you can practice it out in public, right? Sports people, how many people spend time alone in a gym, alone in a weight room, alone on a baseball field, alone in their yard, alone in their bedroom, practicing the game that they love, right? Hours upon hours upon hours. I don't know how many buckets of balls I've pitched to my kids this weekend. It's, it's amazing that this arm isn't twice the size of my left arm. Just we've buckets and buckets and buckets of balls that we've hit this year to help my kids get better. Imagine if we put forth the same effort in walking with God. Hours upon hours upon hours in prayer, in God's Word, in hearing, right? Swift to hear, slow to speak. Same goes in your prayer life. How many, ever, how many people sit and listen after they pray? How many people give their disposition and they pray to God and they say, I love you, I thank you, here's what I need, and then sit and wait for an answer? Or do we just say amen, we get up and we go on our way? See, I, I listened to a pastor say that the other day, and I was like, dang it. Here I thought I was getting better, and here's just another thing for me to work on, but this is good news. It's good news that there's things to work on, because we're not perfect. And if you quit working on stuff, then you're headed in the opposite direction. If you're not actively trying to grow closer to God in spirit, in relationship, then guess what? You're probably falling backwards. You have to actively seek God, actively knock on that door, actively look for Him in everything that you do. God is a good God and He wants to be found. He doesn't hide Himself from you. But are you looking for Him? When we approach bad situations like I'm talking about, are we looking for Him in that moment? Do we see an argument as an opportunity to show somebody God? Is that a new viewpoint? Any argument is an opportunity to show somebody God. Any conflict, any opposition is an opportunity to show that person God. Why? Because when they look at you, they should see a reflection of the light. They should see a reflection of the light. So Jesus did just that. They came to him. They said, why aren't you following our traditions? And he said to them, why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? Talking about washing their hands. If you skip on down a little bit to verse 7, it says, you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy unto you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines 
the commandments of men. You know, when we, we talk about getting back to the heart of worship, I love that song. Because he's saying here that these men are teaching you the commandments of other men. They're not teaching you correct doctrine from God. They're teaching you traditions that they have made up on their own. They've added to the gospel. They draw near unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I would be doing an injustice to you guys if I didn't tell you that you can sit here every Sunday and never make it to heaven. I would be doing you a disservice if I said to you you can sing all the praises and hymnals in the hymn book and never make it to heaven. I would be lying to you if I told you that you could read this book all the way through and that's what gets you to heaven, but it doesn't. It's a heart condition. You can say it with your mouth all day long, but guess what? God goes deeper than that. God looks into your heart and says, you are mine. He doesn't care about what you're saying. He wants you from the heart. When we were praying up here before music, we prayed for the fact that God would read our hearts. How good or how bad it sounded doesn't matter. Because a genuine heart sounds so, so good. I don't know if you've ever heard that person or been in a church where it's just like, ah, it's just bad. It's just bad. But it sounds so sweet because it's heartfelt. They're singing from the inside, not asking you to listen to their projected voice on the outside, but they're asking God to hear their heart, hear the chords of what they're singing from the inside. And that sounds so, so sweet. If we keep going on down through... Jesus then, he said, he, and he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out through the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Why is he talking about this? Because they've put these deals in there and they said it's a sin to eat with unwashed hands. That's an addition to the Bible. That's like me putting the book of Mason in there. It just doesn't fit in there. Because what God gave us is sufficient. 
What God gave us is His Word through His people. What God gave us is what He chose to give us. And He said, this is enough. My grace is sufficient. But I want to talk about the blind leading the blind because whenever somebody gets angry, whenever somebody is trying to steer somebody wrong, it's like the blind leading the blind. Whether you know it or not, when you get in an argument and you're just raging mad because that person is raging mad at you, guess what? You are the blind leading the blind, and guess what? You're both going to fall in a ditch. Except for that you've given up your vision to enter into the realm of blindness. You had vision approaching it and lost it somewhere. You succumbed to their leadership of blindness. You've given up your authority when you enter in in anger. You've given it up. You relinquished your power. You said, here you go, I'm going to follow you down this path and we're both going to end up in a folly place because the blind leads the blind, they'll both end up in a dish. So let's go there. No. We enter into the realms of disagreements with compassion, with love, with wisdom, slow to speak, quick to hear, seeking what? A resolution for the kingdom of God. Are you in it to win an argument? Are you in it to prove them wrong because, gosh, I've been waiting for so long for you to say something that I can just, you're wrong. Is that your goal? If that's your goal, you're the blind leading the blind again. But if you can take God with you, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, and resort them back to the kingdom of God, you have an opportunity, and it may be a once-in-a-life opportunity for them to see God. You may be the only reflection of God in a lifetime that they get to see, and their eternity may depend on what you have to offer. Now, children of the King, heirs to the throne, what do we have to offer? What do you want to offer them? We can offer them a variety of things, right? But just like any other human, we can relinquish our knowledge. We can relinquish the truth. And we can put on these blinders, enter into a blind fit of rage to prove a point. But that's the only thing you're going to do is prove a point. Because when you pull the blinders off and you're both stuck in a ditch... You've proven your point. That your number one sole purpose wasn't the kingdom of God. That you were walking to an earthly beat. That you wanted the earthly satisfaction of pummeling them to the ground to win an argument. That's what we've got happening today. That's what's happening all across the world. That's why people in churches disagree with one another and they want to slander one another to prove a point. What is the point, the point that you're trying to prove is temporary. It doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom of God. If you set out to prove somebody wrong, you're proving nothing because it's temporary. The only thing that's eternal is the kingdom of God, and that's the point we need to prove. 
That's what the world needs to see right now. They're seeking answers to problems. And all they want to do is shout about the problem because they're not truly seeking an answer. They just want to be mad. They just want to use it as an excuse to act ridiculous. They just want to use it as an excuse to try to get the other side riled up. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the scribes did. They used anything that they could to come at Jesus just to get Him shook a little bit. But as Jesus Christ is my anchor, He says no longer are we tossed to and fro by the storms. Because we are children of the King, we possess something much greater than they could ever see coming at them. And we, we stay anchored in the Word of God now we have something to offer the situation. We have God's righteousness. We have His everlasting grace and mercy. We have His love and compassion that we can show these upset and losing people. And maybe some of them are great people. I have no clue. There probably is. And there's probably some of them doing it in the name of Christianity. But we have to be careful. Because he says that you'll do a lot of things in my name that were all for vain. Because you didn't know me. You didn't have a relationship with me. You said these things with your mouth. You gave me lip service, but you didn't believe it in your heart. So when we talk about the blind leading the blind, when we get in fits of rage, when we set out to only prove somebody wrong, when we set out to show somebody about how much biblical knowledge we have, because I want to hit you with Scripture after Scripture after Scripture just to prove a point that I know the Bible better than you know the Bible, or I sing hymns after hymns after hymns just to show you that I know them all without looking at the book. When you set out to prove a temporary point, you get temporary results. Because with temporary results, you get... I don't know, maybe they're like, oh my gosh, you're the greatest person ever. That's temporary. Because at some time, you're going to mess up. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. Then where are you at? If you're not the perfect, if you're not the best, and you stumble and fall every now and then like I do, what do you got then? Nothing. Because you've proven a point knowing that you're the best in your category, not the best. In the kingdom of God, we're not showing them the kingdom of God when we seek after temporary results. Now, if we go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43, we're going to hit on this anger thing because there's so much anger in the world, it cannot come into the house of God. There's so much anger in the world that it should not come into a Christian's heart. I don't want the children of God's hearts to be hardened because it can do it. We were talking the other night about being distinct and the way we act and react sets us apart from the rest of the world. Just because you get burnt when you give somebody something. If you were giving to them out of the goodness of your heart, then it does not matter what they do with it, right? Because you were given, if they want to take it and they want to do something bad with it, then that's on them. If they lied to you to get it, but you gave out of the goodness of your heart, that's on them. 
But guess what? You showed them. You showed them compassion. And you showed them that the children of God are willing to give of themselves to further the kingdom. And see, I think what most people view the modern church as, they take it at face value. That they're willing to give just a little bit, but they're not willing to give till it hurts. Yeah, they're willing to talk to you for a while, but they're not willing to go to battle for you in prayer. Yeah, they're willing to talk to God for just a little bit, but they're not willing to spend hours on their knees praying to a God until He gives answers. See, it's all face value. We've gotten to the point where we don't go out into the world enough. We let too much of the world in. So we've got to become a distinct people like we have been called to be year after year after year ever since the creation of the world began. God has called to set us apart. Verse 43, Matthew chapter 5. It says, You have heard that it hath been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what are you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? But if you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This is what I'm saying. I've seen a bunch of arguments online, in person, where that's all that they are is they're just arguments. It's a non-believer going against a believer and they're slandering each other on the same level. There is no distinction between a believer and a non-believer in a bunch of instances that I've seen, but we should stand higher. We should rise above. We should be distinct from where we came. They should know that they're disputing with a Christian when you start disputing. They should know who they're talking about because your answers should come out of love and direction towards the kingdom of God, not to prove a point, not to win an argument, but for kingdom work. If you're not there, if you're mad, say we'll have to resume this later because I'm not in the right place to talk to you right now. It's better to not say anything than to point them to hell. Because when you come at them as a Christian and you leave, you leave God at the door when you enter this argument and you put on those blinders, you're no different. And God calls us to be different. He says we should not be like the world, that we should be transformed by the renewing of the mind. That means when we approach these situations, we approach this world that's going to hate you. Why? Because it hated him first. They're going to hate you as well that we can confront these problems with an everlasting answer. 
that we could confront their problems with an eternal answer. You don't know. Their mom may have just died this morning and, and something terrible happened, and that's the reason that they're acting so out of whack. You may never know that, but what you can know in walking away is that I just made an impact for the kingdom of God. See, God gave me a handful of seeds to sow, and I know that if I never put them down, that they will still be a handful of seeds in my hand and never produce anything. So in every situation, in every conversation, in every song sung, in every Bible verse read, we seek an eternal living. We seek eternity not only for ourselves, but we seek eternity for other people. That's what the world doesn't see because they only see the world. That's where we have insight that they don't have. That's where we can't be mad at them for not knowing what they don't know. But here's where we can step in and help because you have information that they don't have. You are a child of the King if you've accepted Christ as Savior. You do have the saving grace knowledge that you can give to them to let them make their own decision. But if you always walk around and you take that handful of seeds that God gave you and you walk your whole life and you never open your hand, those seeds never done any good because you never planted them. A seed's never going to grow in your hand. You have to drop seeds. Yes, some fall on rocky ground. Yes, some fall in the thistles. Yes, some don't grow. But guess what? Some do. Some do, and you don't know which one that is. I'm sure there were tons of people and be like, I ain't talking to that Paul guy, man. I ain't, I ain't talking to Saul because he's one bad dude, and he'll probably kill me just for talking to him. I ain't going there. He'll never be saved. He'll never know God. He'll never accept Christ. That's not ours. That's not ours at all. We've got seeds. We're to plant them. That's ours. And we can plant them anywhere and everywhere and in any situation if you choose to do so. If you haven't read about Paul and some of the stuff that he did, man, even in prison, he's planting these seeds. He says, count it all joy that I'm in here because guess what? That jail keep and his family, they're now living for the kingdom of God because Paul got thrown in prison for talking about it. So don't tell me that your situation defines you because only God defines you. You're not bound by any situation here on earth. He says, there's going to be weapons formed against you. They may even get fired off. They may hit you, but they will not stand. They will not destroy you. Why? Because you're my child. You may get in this big, bad argument but don't put the blinders on. Don't let anger overrule your hearts. Don't let people taking advantage of you harden your heart because that's what God gave you and it's His. Now, addressing the church. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. This is the one that gets hard and hits a little closer to home because there is anger that rises in between God's children. There are disagreements that arise in the church. But guess what? He gives us a game plan. 
How should we work through it? Well, first of all, get your mind right. Get your mind right. If you've got a problem with somebody else in the body of Christ, get your mind right. Before you ever do anything else, get your mind right. Verse 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. So what's that mean? It says confront him alone. It says if you have a problem with another brother or sister in Christ in the house of God in Christ's body which he is the head of, you don't tell your neighbor. You don't spread it across this side because now we've got you know, south side versus north side where this whole side doesn't like this side because they never talk to each other. If you've got a problem, you pray about it. You get it right in your own mind, and then you go talk to him about it. Kenny doesn't come to me and tell me about it. He doesn't go to Bob and tell him about it, and Kelly, and all through the church, and tell everybody else but that person what it says to go to them. Go to them. The problem's with them. Otherwise, we're creating discourse in the rest of the church body, right? Because you're trying to gain team members on your side. You're trying to get people to back you to feel what you feel, to harbor the feelings that you feel, because you need support in your anger. In family, there's no room for it. Don't gather up team members. Don't create more discourse than there has to be. Because guess what? I would bet that 90% of the time, it's a miscommunication, a misunderstanding, a miss, I'm reading you wrong. He gives us instruction. Let's follow it. I'm going to read it one more time. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother, because what was your goal? Your goal was to help them. Your goal wasn't to point out what they were doing wrong. If they fell to the wayside, your goal was to pick them up and help them get back on the path. When we confront anger, we have to have the right goal in mind. Because if you go to them, madder than all, get out, guess what's probably going to happen? They're probably going to get mad back at you, and then you're going to say, well, I tried to talk to them, and they didn't want to talk or they called me this or they called me that. And it's like, how did you approach them? Did you approach them like, oh, you worthless. Get your mind right. Get what you're feeling inside, where the true hurt, the true problem is. Talk to God and approach them with the objection of building up the kingdom to build your brother or sister that has fallen down if you believe that they've fallen then you should be there to pick them up but that's why we have so much discourse in the church body because we don't want to help pick them up we just want to kick them we don't really want to understand where people are coming from why we ain't got time for that it's their problem not mine they're the one doing it not me it is your problem 
It's within the body of Christ. It is your problem. Because it says weep with one another. Rejoice with one another. Help pick each other up. Help carry each other's burdens. Because see, as long as there's discourse in the body of Christ, there'll always be discourse outside the body of Christ. Why? Because when we act blindly, and we're blindly leading another person in the body of Christ in the wrong direction, how can we ever step out into a blind world? I promise you that this is set out of love. Because I want you guys to realize, and I want the objective in the world to change because of the hatred that I see and that I feel. God's children have to start trying to build one another within the body so that we can go outside of the body to build them. But if you've got another brother or sister in Christ kicking you and pushing you down, there's no way you can go outside the body and make a difference. There's no way. Because they're relentless. They don't care about your salvation. We should. That's why we're here to build one another. We're here to strengthen one another. We're here to teach one another. I don't know everything that this book says. But there's a lot of people in this room that can help me. There's a lot of people in this room that can point out biblical knowledge to me. There's a lot of people that can pray for me. There's a lot of people that can pick me up when I fall down because guess what? I will fall down. I will need help. And I will need my brothers and my sisters in Christ to point me back to God. Everybody in here needs it. And if you tell me that you don't, then I would question your motives to start with. We need each other. That's why he laid out the perfect game plan to help one another. Verse 16, But if he won't hear you, if he will not hear you, then take thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses... Every word may be established. Two or three more. Not half the congregation. We're not walking up on stage and say, I have a, whoo, I got a special prayer request. Misty, boy, she's getting out there. She needs everybody. She needs help. That's not what we're doing here. That's not going to help the situation. It's going to push Misty farther down. I gather one or two more people, not because they're on my side, but because they are strong in the Lord. Elders, people that you know that you can examine the fruits of their life and see that they are strong in their relationship with the Lord. Those are the people that you gather to go confront a situation. Not your buddy that you've made mad at the same person you were mad at so that you can go dogpile on them. You gather wisdom. You gather strength. Prayer warriors. Because why? 
because your objection, your object, what you're seeking is to build. Seeking to improve. Seeking to point towards the kingdom of God. See, we've got to get it right in the church before we can ever get it right outside of the church. If I gather two or three people up just because they think the same way that I think without ever resorting to somebody with wisdom in the matter, guess what? I'm compacting the situation because my objective is not to save or to build. It is to get people on my side so that we can make them feel worse. See, there's a whole lot of tearing down that goes on. The world has crept into the church, right? It's our job to step up and defend our people, God's children, our brothers and sisters from the rest of the world when it creeps in. How does it get in? Somebody's got to leave a door open. Because we are proclaimed territories of God. We are God's children. And the only reason Satan gets in is because we leave the door open and let him in. Because it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Amen? We have that power through Christ. Every person that is a child of the King has the power to resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a great power. Guess what? Some of us get blinded and we can't see that power. That's why it's important for another brother to take the time to realize and step in as an intercessor and said, I will fight for you because you're my brother. I'm here to pick you back up because you dropped your sword. You can use my shield because I'll stand in the gap. See, we don't have a whole lot of people standing in the gap anymore. We don't have a whole lot of people willing to take fiery arrows for somebody else. But here we are today, strengthening off of one another. That's why we're here, right? We came here today seeking God. You didn't come to hear me. You didn't come to hear the music. You came to find God, and God is here waiting for you. How many people felt God here today? Amen? I did. I did. Why? Because you get a bunch of people that want to be in God's presence. Guess what? God doesn't hide himself. God wants to be in your presence too. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to praise in his presence. He wants you to learn in his presence. He wants you to sit around and soak up his presence. Because God is so good when we were so bad. Amen? God is so good. Verse 17. And if ye shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if ye neglect to hear from the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Try to help. Try to help. Try to help. But get your mind right first. If you're mad at him, don't go talk to him right there. Probably not the best idea. Pray about it. Seek God in every situation. Understand what your motive is for going to talk to them. If you indulge in an argument or a debate on Facebook or in real life, what's your motive? If your motive is not to point toward people towards the kingdom of God, you better bow out because you've got the wrong motive. 
If you're going to confront somebody, what's your motive? Because if it's not to help them build or regain strength and point them back to the kingdom of God, you better not go. Because you're in the wrong place. You need to get in the right place. Disagreements are going to happen. Frustrations are going to happen. It comes in family. It comes in friends. I moved in with one of my best friends one time. Man, I'm going to tell you the truth. I got a job working on the road just in time because there were some disagreements. So it's going to happen everywhere. But we have to know what our motive is. We have to know why we're engaging in a situation. If you go to one of these protests to slander them for protesting, you're doing the same thing. You might as well just pick up a sign and go with them. Because you're not standing out at all. You're joining with the rest of the world. But if you go to pick somebody out, to understand where they're coming from, to point them towards the kingdom of God because God made them and God cherishes them, then we should also, then by all means, if God's telling you to go, go. But as we stand this morning, we're going to open up the altars. And if we've got any malice or anger in our hearts, today's the day to really meet those things and, and try to understand why am I angry? Why do I have angerness and bitterness built up inside of me? Is it me or is it them? If you're holding on to it, I've got a pretty good guess. But God gives us biblical ways to approach situations and our number one objective, our mission statement in any situation should be to point people towards the kingdom of God. If they aren't saved, that should be your motive. If they've fallen away, give them a foot up so they can get back. If they've fallen down, help pick them up. You have to understand what your motive is before you can approach any situation. Because remember, when anger meets anger, it's like the blind leading the blind. Don't relinquish what you know to them and for what they don't know. The altars are open today. Let's pray. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for this world. All this anger and this malice and everything that is happening can go away. We need people to stand in the gap and, and show people that don't know what true love is. And by being a reflection of God, it says God is love, therefore you are a reflection of that love. Today is the day to repent, to turn away from that sin, to get the angerness and the bitterness out of your heart. To give it all to God, to say, God, I know that you can fix this. Today is the day to let go of the things that you've been holding on to. To turn to the things that are eternal. Today is the day to get right, to restore your relationship with God. The altars are open.